0: Hello everyone! Welcome back to the Gold Standard Podcast. I am so excited today to introduce my guest, who is a superstar in every sense of the word in so many different areas of life. My guest today is the 1996 National Player of the Year for softball for college softball. She was her senior year the Women's College World Series Most Outstanding Player and won the Honda Sports Award. She has seven career home runs. I mean, she could crush it. She also went on to play baseball for the Colorado silver bullets and the United States women's national baseball team, where she earned a bronze medal at the 2010 women's baseball world cup. My best, um, title that I like to share is that she's my very, very dear friend. And she was my college roommate who kept me sane throughout my time at the university of Arizona. Welcome Jenny Dalton Hill to the podcast.
1: Oh, my great friend, Leah, I love being here and just being able to share this time with you.
0: Yeah. I'm so excited to have you on Jenny, because you've done so many different things. You and I, I mean, we get to see each other at the women's college world series. We get to catch up throughout the year, but what I love is that you know, it's not only that you succeeded in college. It wasn't only that you went on to play baseball and started, you know, a new sport after college. It's not only that you have raised three adult children who are now just thriving, even including the sports world. I want to talk a little bit about all of that, but you also continue to be a commentator for ESPN. Um, so let's just jump into it. Tell me a little bit about a young Jenny growing up, kind of what are those characteristics that helped you to then go on to become great in all these different areas?
1: I think for me, just always saying yes to opportunities and not letting anxiety of a new situation make me say no. Because when new situations are presented to you, there's a lot of times when we our first inclination is, oh, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, I'm not comfortable with that. So no, I don't think I want to do that. And I realized early on that by saying yes, it opened doors and it pushed me and forced me to grow into new areas and made me a better version of myself every single time that I walked through a door that maybe wasn't comfortable.
0: And for you, you're known as just one of the most prolific power hitters in a sport ever. I mean, to this day, you still have, um, for most RBIs in the NCAA for college softball with 308, the power that you had, is that something early on that you knew this is a strength and I'm going to work on it. What was your approach with that?
1: Well, I think when it comes to records, you have to sit back and realize that you don't attain those records without being on a phenomenal team with amazing athletes that you're surrounded with. So I held the run scored record for a really long time, but you don't hold that record without people behind you hitting you in. And you don't hold the RBI record without people like you, Leah, getting on base and allowing me to hit you in. So if you don't have those other key components in place, and Mike Candrea, our head coach at Arizona, gave us that ability to have, surround ourselves with amazing athletes that then gave us a chance to be successful. And so early on, what did I try to do? I just was so competitive. And I think that that's one of those traits that is a thread common between high level athletes is they were always trying to find Ways to be better, ways to be more, whether it's more efficient in our movement or more dominant in the things that we do, more powerful, faster, whatever it is, that competitiveness, when you surround yourself with other competitive people, it just, it feeds the competitive Um, just environment that you're in. And so there's no chance to sit back on rest on your laurels. You're always finding ways. Well, Leah's good at this. How can I be better at that? Or our pitcher's good at this. How can I help her? The hitter behind me is good at this. How can I help her? So yes, Sports is something where you can get pretty egocentric and think only about yourself. But when you play a team sport, it's all about filling the weakness of your teammate. So making your strength stronger while pulling and making sure that everyone around you is getting better in the areas that they aren't as good, maybe as you in, but then also letting them be good in their areas because it helps you.
0: And how would you, um, tell other people when you work in a team sport, maybe there's people you don't get along with so well, how do you still pull out strength and become, you know, what they need beside them in those situations, even considering people maybe in the workforce, right. People in different roles and you know, how, how important is that? What does that look like to be able to say, okay, it might not be the best setting and the people around me, but I'm going to still figure out a way to be the very best.
1: Well, you know, our teams weren't always the best of friends off the field. But when it came to playing the sport and getting between the white lines, that's where we all had that common goal of winning. We didn't want to leave the field without being the best. But I think the biggest piece that translates from the corporate world to sports is making sure that there's connection with your coworkers before correction is needing to be made. And so, because if somebody comes up to me and tells me you're not good at X, Y, Z, I don't hear that with the same kind of um, voice or tone as I would if it was someone that I already had a relationship with. I understood it was coming from a place of help and it was coming from a place of them wanting to be Uh, you know, valuable in the change and in the fix. If it comes from someone, I don't know if it comes from a place of someone or comes from the person that I'm not comfortable with, it feels more like they're belittling me. It feels more like they're putting me down. So I really live by the fact of connection before correction to be able to make the people around me better, but I have to get to know them before I try to make any kind of difference.
0: I think connection is so important for leadership. If you want a team to be, it's very best for you. You need to learn how to connect and figure out where, where you're going to be able to find those cords of agreement. In a sense, there might be others that it is not, you know, where you're going to focus. And for me, that word, I use that word relatability, because when you're relatable and you connect and you find, Hey, okay, maybe I don't, understand. I don't agree in this area, but guess what? We can connect right here. And, and I love that you, you bring that in from that you build relationship and from relationship, there's trust. And when you have trust, then you can allow growth to happen. Right. And, and you can work together. Um, talk to me a little bit. We were freshmen on uh, the softball field at the women's college world series. We get to Oklahoma city. We have an early practice. It is a just terrible field that we not only practice on, but we end up doing sprints on and take me through what happens next to you.
1: So at the end of practice, coach always runs us through sprints at the end of practice. I think we were spelling cats, like each sprint was a letter of the word. And so, um, the first one we yell see as we cross the finish line, a T and on S the last one of sprints and maybe it was wildcats. I don't know. It's all a blur and it happened 30 years ago, but On the last one, I hit a hole and turned my ankle to the point that I blew out the ligaments in my ankle the day before the College World Series was about to start. And it was devastating. And everybody thought I was kidding. um, And I wish I had been. That would have made it a whole different story. Um, But it ended up changing the trajectory of what that College World Series was for me because I ended up sitting then up in the training room, which was a little bungalow down the left field line, and had to watch most of the women's college world series from the training room, a little window in the wall, um, in that bungalow. And I watched my team play games. I saw them struggle. I saw them do amazing things, but they fell into the losers bracket. And for me, the reason that was so, um, hard was because I didn't have a chance to impact the team. I wasn't in the dugout. I was sitting far away. Um, and Arizona actually fought back all the way through the losers bracket and got to the semifinals. It was a night game against Louisiana. And I turned to my trainer and I said, can I please just sit in the dugout? I haven't even had an opportunity to enjoy the atmosphere of Oklahoma city, please. So she taped it all up and allowed me to go sit in the dugout and Coach Candrea hadn't seen me sitting in the dugout the whole time. And he walked down the dugout at a kind of pivotal point in the game. And he said, Dalton, can you hit? And I was like, yes, sir. And I went out and the trainer chased me and I ran out as fast as I could. And I got a walk and I was so excited. And then the finals came. And if you know anything about team sports or sports in general, it comes down to those superstitions and I know I'm superstitious. I think coach Candrea takes it to a whole nother level, but what I, when it comes to my routine before a game, Leah, you and I always were throwing partners before a game. And I asked the trainer, you know, can we, can I just play catch with Leah one time to warm up? It's the finals. It's the championship game at the women's college world series. Can I please just play catch with Leah? And she said, fine, just be careful, you know? And so we were throwing, playing catch and coach Kendra actually walked out of the dugout and walked out to me. I was in center field and you were on the line down the third baseline. And he said, Dalton, can you play a uh, shortstop today? And I said, yes, sir. And I don't know that I felt my ankle again, the rest of the day, I was so excited just to be able to take the field with my team and make a difference and to I don't talk about it a lot, but Leah, your hit in that game was so special because it drove in the only run of the game, but I got to be in the on-deck circle and watch it all happen and not just have a front row seat, but literally right in the middle of the action. And that that moment was such a pivotal time for me because it showed me I can do hard things. I can make a difference even when I'm not a hundred percent. I can be a hundred percent of whatever I am that day. So maybe my body was at 60% that day. I needed to make sure that I was a hundred percent of the 60% that I was able to give. And I could be a difference maker with my attitude, with my enthusiasm, with every other part that wasn't affected by my ankle being an issue. I needed to make sure that I was giving everything I had, even if I wasn't at 100% in all my areas, I needed to make sure that I was completely present in every way. And that set the tone for the rest of my college career.
0: Yeah. And I think back to that time and how you, you know, were our our second base and that you had, had been a shortstop and then you came in and coach said, okay, we have a shortstop. We need you to move over to second. And you had to learn this whole new position and then, you know, you earn that spot. You're the starting second baseman. And then we get to this moment. And then, like you said, you're out. And then all of a sudden, Okay, I'll go out there with a broken ankle, practically a broken ankle. If people really understood. I mean, we were roommates. It was the middle of the night. People were trainer was in there. Her her ankle was literally the size of a softball, and they're doing ultrasound on it every night. And just you saying yes, like you said, just next man up. Like I'm gonna figure this out. And I think to me, like you, you embodied just the team mentality in that sense. Now, we went on our sophomore year to just crush it. when sixty four and three. One national championship, our junior year, we get again another an amazing year. we get to the finals, we fall short to, to UCLA. But then, Jenny, I want you just to take me to the Women's College World Series, maybe even the last game at the Women's College World Series, your senior year, because um Arizona had um two all Americans graduate. I was registered on the Olympic team. I know, I think most people would know. Jenny, you should have been on that Olympic team with Lily, deserved it, should have been there. God had different plans, but but ultimately that is the level you are and always have been. Um, and, you know, you had our catcher had had a child took a year off and our, one of our pitchers out uh, with a hurt ankle. So five All-Americans gone when they're only were supposed to be two gone. So talk to me about kind of what you had to do that year to lead that team and and even the hit that you got to to make a, a big impact at the World Series.
1: Well, I think it comes down to there. You can always go back and find a defining moment in different when you when you can go back and look back on situations. You can find defining moments that really set the pace and the course for a team. We lost more that season than I had ever lost in a season. We also lost Larry Ray, who was our assistant coach. So he left to be the new head coach at Florida. So there was a lot of change that year and then nothing felt right. And after having so much success and Then coming in second the year before, I thought there is no way we're not going to win this all this year. But we had fans booing us at home when we were not ahead in games. I mean, there were so many different pieces of that year that just didn't feel right. But when you got between the white lines, it came down to making sure that we were player led. So we were always coach fed. Coach Candrea always fed us the right information, what we needed to do, how we needed to do it. But if a team is not player led, then it can falter. And I think in that in that team we needed strong leadership, and so um, it, we had a moment in the fall where we had a freshman that wasn't really keeping up with what was expected. We were a high level team that needed to have everyone competing at a high level every single day, whether you were conditioning or we were playing a game. And in this one day, we had a freshman that was that sat out, didn't come, didn't come to conditioning, and told the trainer she was sick and everybody on the team started complaining, but they weren't talking to the player. They were just having this pity party within the team. And it got to a point where I said, that's enough. Who's going to talk to her? Because this is a, this is a cancer that's going to eat up our team. If we don't address it, who's going to talk to her? And nobody wanted to stand up and go do that. And I said, fine, I'll do it. And I walked up to her and I said, are you sick or are you, are you just sitting out? And There were more words said than that, but it came down to, she was just being weak in a moment. And I said really hard things to her and she actually ended up crying and running off to the bathroom. We finished conditioning and I went down to the bathroom and made sure she understood. I wasn't trying to be hard on her because I didn't like her. I was being hard on her because hard things were going to be expected of her. She was a pitcher. We needed her to throw And we had lost so much that I needed to make sure she understood that there were no opportunities to take the day off. If you were not feeling a hundred percent, that's okay. If you were completely sick, stay home and get better. But if you were good enough to be there, then you needed to be competing. And I think it was in that moment that we set the tone for the rest of the season. We did lose a lot. We had a lot of young players that were Brand new to the collegiate scene that are people playing out of position from a year before, because we needed them to fill holes that were created by the loss of those all Americans. But we set a tone early that weakness would not be accepted. And when you did feel weak, it was okay to reach out and ask for help, but it was not okay to not show up. And sometimes showing up is the hardest piece. And I think that moment for me showed me that I needed to make sure that I held everyone accountable to be their best in the moment. And then God willing gave me a chance to swing a bat at a really terrible pitch on an, it went over the fence. And that was the difference in a six to four ball game that got us our, my third national championship.
0: Well, and what Jenny's not telling you is they were literally pitching around her, but they... <laughs> It wasn't a good pitch still, but it also wasn't bad enough. And so Jenny was able to just make that difference and bring home that national championship. And I, that just says to me, just that ability of athlete that you are when just like you said, there was so much change. I'm just, you know, really Um, a big proponent of those that can handle change well, because most people don't like change. We don't like getting out of our comfort zone. So when you embrace change and when you're willing to say, okay, what can we do to still make this great? That's where I think people rise up. And and I don't think there's a lot that do it in that setting. So you went on to uh, play baseball. What was that transition? Like
1: (laughs) the transition was actually motivated by money, dollar signs, when there was a softball pro league at the time, but The Olympics was going to be four more years away. And I didn't think that I was going to be able to hang on for four more years to be able to train because I hadn't been on the original Olympic team. So there wasn't going to be funding coming into my pocket. I had just gotten married and I needed to be able to pay the bills. And so the pro contract was not going to pay very much. The Olympic stuff was going to be fun to train for, but there wasn't going to be a monetary help in any way to get to that next Olympics. And so baseball came calling and the dollar signs behind that with the Colorado silver bullets gave me a chance to try a new sport. Yes. It's a bat and ball sport, but ladies and gentlemen, that is definitely not the same sport. And the transition to that was definitely difficult. And I felt like I was on an Island learning brand new things, but being able to use my athleticism and the skills I'd learned on the softball field to translate over into a new arena.
0: And you, then went into just full-time raising your children. You did a little bit of coaching. I moved to Kentucky with your husband, Mark, and you guys have been married. How many years now? Gosh, now you're going to make me the bad guy. 20, <laughs> a lot, <laughs> a lot
2: late twenties, late 20s. 20, twenty six. So, this year it'll be 27.
0: <laughs> and they've just raised their kids. And how is that transition, you know, post sports post being the superstar and now it's like okay i'm just super busy with my hands full raising these kiddos what was that like
1: i mean if you really want to make me cry we can talk about this but it was really humbling honestly because i went from you know signing autographs in the grocery store when we were in tucson moving to kentucky coaching for the university of kentucky for a couple of seasons and then being a stay-at-home parent so i went from being top of my game very recognizable you know very important in my mind to everybody. I know that's not true, but that's how it felt at the time. And then coming home and just being responsible for wiping butts and feeding faces all day long, and then bathing it and doing it all over again the next day. And it was very humbling because I went from being Jenny Dalton, and then we named our oldest son Dalton, To being Dalton's mom. And so that was very hard for me to take a step back and feel like I didn't have a place to be myself. So it became almost this Superman and Clark Kent identity that I was Superman. And then I just needed to put the glasses on and get to work and be Clark Kent for a while, not knowing that God had other things in place for me later on. I should have known, right? But it came down to that was what was needed in the moment. And I just needed to be the best that I could with these three little kiddos that depended on me to help raise them and help give them wings so that they could be independent one day too.
0: So I want to just go back because you did these different things. Were there goals that you were setting along the way, or was it just kind of the natural progression that things happened for you? I think
1: the only goal I really set for myself early on was I wanted to play ball in college and I didn't know which sport I wanted to play in college you know back in the 80s and 90s we could play multiple sports i played five sports in high school and actually got recruited for volleyball and basketball before i got recruited for softball and then when i got to college i realized i want to win a national championship well then we did that freshman year and it was i want to win that national championship every year so those were the goals then after college i did flounder a little bit i didn't understand how to set goals outside of a sporting venue. And so then it became, I want to make sure that I'm the best mom that I can be. Well, there's no national championship for moms. It's not like you can say, check off these things and you become the best mom around. And I would say I won mother of the year, but not for the good things. I remember laying in bed thinking, can I get it any more wrong every night? Like they're so peaceful and I love them so much. And they wake up and I'm like, I keep screwing this up, but the best new part about kids is they're pretty resilient. <laughs> but um, I, it was a it was a difficult transition for me to come off the field and know how to be successful. Whatever I didn't know what successful meant outside the white lines, and so um, for me, I didn't really set goals because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't know what I wanted to be. Um, and then the kids got a little bit older, and so. I was mentioned to by one of my teammates from the Colorado silver bullets in 2009. Hey, you should try out for the women's base national baseball team. And I thought, what is that? I don't even know what that is. And can I be that person again? It's been 13 years since I laced up the cleats. How do I enter that space again and feel like I belong? And so going into the tryout for that 2010 team, I remember thinking, I've never been told I'm not good enough for something. And I'm afraid that by going to this tryout, they might tell me I'm not good enough. And I had to figure out, am I strong enough inside to be able to hear the words? You're not good enough. And I told my husband, I said, I'm not going to go to the tryout. And he said, why? I said, Oh, the tickets are too expensive to get to the tryout. And he said, we can make it work. And I found excuse after excuse to not go because I was so concerned and worried about my ego getting bruised. And then, uh, he came one day and he said, I bought you a ticket. You leave this day. You'll be fine. And I was so nervous, uh, because I just didn't know if I had what it took. And, uh, luckily I made that team and I didn't have to hear that word But I was able to finish playing in a way that I felt comfortable rather than just aging out, which a lot of collegiate athletes do. They age out. The next step isn't available to pay the bills. And so they just have to walk away. And it usually happens to girls more than it happens to our male counterparts. But I'm impressed with how a lot of universities now go about putting into place classes before athletes graduate to give them a chance to talk about what that transition looks like. I don't think it makes it easier, but it at least opens their eyes to how things may change and how to maybe deal with those situations before they play their last game and then have to walk away and figure out what life looks like.
0: I think it's a reality for a lot of pro athletes. I know talking to, um, uh, former uh, MLB athlete who then was like playing, you know, majors playing in triple A. And then just being like, you know, I I know I'm getting close to the end of my career. And he's like thinking like, Asking me questions on what I do, and he's thinking, "What's the next step?" He's all, "I don't know what I want to do yet. I just know I don't want to suck at it." <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> you, like you're mentioning, it's very real. Like if people have to change jobs, like you know, I mean, Tommy and I, and my husband, we sit and talk, and and at times it's like, if I'm "Not doing this, what would I do?" Because this is all I've done for twenty years, right? And it's like you're right for us as athletes, what I've done my whole life. Now what? Um, but I think you know, again, that relatability, that connecting, that being who you are on the field physically as an athlete, but also as, as, you know, emotionally and your personality, because I think that's what's helped you to go on myself to have opportunities um, with some commentating with what, you know, using these, our knowledge, our experiences and be able to share that with the world through commentating. So tell me a little bit about, um, kind of maybe the, the best part and the hardest part about being a commentator for college softball and little league softball.
1: Hardest part? All of it because you're not on the field. I think the thing that is hard is when you're an athlete, it usually comes pretty naturally. Yes, you've trained a lot, but being athletic is something that just came naturally. Putting a microphone in front of me was not natural, still not natural. Um, and so actually the best advice I have ever been given in the TV side of things came from my boss, Megaronowitz, who said, you need to to learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because everything about TV was uncomfortable. I didn't know the words. I didn't know the language. I didn't know the people. I didn't know my expectations. Literally everything about it was like trying to figure out how to speak Japanese while sitting in Japan and having no friends with you. You didn't know who to ask questions to. You didn't even know how to ask the questions. You didn't know what you didn't know. And so the whole thing about Being on TV now is trying to figure out how to help the next people that come after me because I remember what it it was like deer in headlights when I first started because I didn't know what my expectation were. I didn't know what the checklist was. I didn't even know the words on the checklist. And so now it's more about making sure that when I see someone new is onboarded, I reach out to them right away to make sure that they understand, you know, I'm a safe place ask the questions here. I'm not going to turn you in. I'm not going to turn on you, but I think that's an important thing to do in the workplace. No matter what space you work in, making sure that when someone joins your crew or your team, whatever it is, that you reach out and help because you were there one time too. And whether somebody did it to you or not, doesn't mean you can't be the light. For the next person coming in it's only going to make your team better it's only going to make your job easier if you know you've got allies on your right and your left and that they're able to pick up your slack because you've been there for them
0: i think that's powerful for you to say that you're the one taking a step it's one thing when people approach you and you're willing to share all the knowledge and information but that's a big deal for you to basically say that's leadership that's the, com- the component that you are making those around you better. Like somebody's getting a better start because like you, they're coming in brand new and they're like, okay, what am I even doing? I can absolutely relate to that. I went through those same emotions and feelings. And the reality is the more you do it, the easier it gets, the more you learn. But then when you only do it a tiny bit, it's really, really hard to be good at it. And so I think any outside information you can have, you know, I think it's huge. So how has leadership even post-college been important for you? I mean, you mentioned that right there, wisdom, being comfortable, being uncomfortable and being like, okay, I, I've had to say yes. Times I'm saying yes again to something that's uncomfortable. Um, but just that leadership piece, cause that's a big part of the gold standard. I really believe you, you talked about, you know, being coach fed, but player led. So same thing with an organization, right? A manager or somebody in charge, it's a coworker and, and, and helping each other out. So that leadership piece, how, how important has that been for you?
1: It's everything. Not only having someone to follow when I'm uncomfortable, knowing that the ship is going the right direction, but also figure out how to take the rudder to steer the ship when given the opportunity. I think a lot of people run away from leadership opportunities because it is very lonely at the top. You know, you have to say hard things. I remember working with, not working with a team, but talking to a coach of a team in the SEC saying, you know, what does this year look like? How is it going to go for you? You had a lot of seniors graduate last year. And this coach talked about how he had to make sure he told his seniors that year, it's not about making friends. It's about doing the hard thing and having the hard conversation. When you're a leader, you do have to have conversations that a friend maybe wouldn't have. You have to make sure that you say the thing that makes the team better in the right way, of course, not ever putting somebody down, but sometimes you have to call people out when they're not picking up their end of the rope. And that's not always an easy conversation to have to tell someone they're not doing it right or that they're not doing it well enough. But that is needed in so many different pieces of our lives. Someone willing to step up and say, I know you can do better and I'm here to help you do better in what you're doing. Because being a leader doesn't mean point out the faults. Being a leader means, Hold somebody's hand until they're ready to do it by themselves. And it takes someone willing to have those hard conversations to make the change. They're not going to make it without you. And they're definitely not going to make it if you just point it out and walk away. But whether whether you're in a factory or you're at a desk or you're on a team, you have to have someone in the office, on the team, willing to step up and say, we don't do it that way here we raise the bar and then hold people accountable to the standard.
0: I love how you share that. And that is so important. You're right. Leadership is not something to just power and, you know, try to keep people down below you. Instead, it's the opposite. It's literally helping others rise until they become leaders themselves. I think those that's the best compliment you can give any leader, any coach, any CEO, any company manager, any, anybody in charge, any teacher, when your student rises above what you've done, you literally are trying to lift them up until they even you know, become better than what you've done. You have won a lot. You have just been successful in so many different areas. This past summer, Little League International recognized and enshrined you into the Little League Hall of Excellence. You are, I think, only one of seven women ever. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's yeah. what an unbelievable honor. Tell me a little bit about kind of what something like that means to you. You
1: know, in athletics, a lot of times... times-
0: The awards you get
1: happen right after the competition or right after the big moment. And so, you know, I was inducted into the Arizona Hall of Fame, the University of Arizona Hall of Fame, and there was a five year waiting period to be able to be on the docket. Well, I got it five years out. And so there was not a lot of time between finishing playing and getting that. So it was still pretty fresh. This Little League Hall of Excellence award was something that really came out of the blue. And it came, I mean, I played Little League when I was eight, nine, 10, till I was 15. So the last time I played Little League, I was 15 years old. So (laughs) without divulging my age, that was a long time ago. And so for this to come out and have um, Steve Keener, the president of Little League, give me a call and tell me about this award, it was emotional. Because for me, I don't do things to get attention. I don't do things to win awards. I don't do things to make myself better than somebody else. I've always been on a team. You do things to make the team better. You do things to push the agenda of the group forward. So to be able to be recognized as an individual who has impacted, not athletics, that's the key thing about the award given by little league is it's not an award given because you were a good athlete, it's, it helps, right? But it comes because you've done more with your life than um, maybe you would have been able to do without sport. And I've tried to use sport as a springboard into the rest of my life to make an impact and make a difference in the areas of life where I've found myself. So it comes down to ESPN comes down to USA baseball, the other areas of my life that have happened because of my athletics, they've given me the chance to spread ripples of difference and change, um, because of an opportunity I had to play little league when I was very young.
0: Oh, and that's just such a well-deserved honor. And when I think about it, it's, it exemplifies the gold standard, what I share about what I love. And that's why I wanted to have you on this podcast because it is not just one area thriving and, you know, winning awards and being talented. It's so much bigger than that. It's no matter what I do, if I'm a mom, a stay at home mom, I'm going to be the best. And like you said, even when I fail, I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow. I'm going to become better because I'm not going to stay stuck. I'm going to refuse to give up and everything you've talked about. Like that's, that's the message that's coming across. And from that, Other opportunities arise from that accolades and awards arise. And I know that's why you've continued to be, you know, one of the the main people for ESPN for college softball and still involved with USA baseball and making a difference for the female athletes in that sport that are having opportunities to, to compete and to play. Um, part of the gold standard, I talk about the D being dedication and drive. What drives you? I mean, maybe it's what I just said, but what drives you and like, how important it is that dedication just to show up your best each day?
1: Leah, I think you are the same way. I don't know how to show up and not be my best, not showing up and being my best means I failed. And I don't ever want to fail in anything I do, you know, whether it's taking a cooking class or learning how to sew or whatever, like I want to be the best. And I've had to redefine what the best looks like because the best is something I now need to judge against myself. I don't get to walk in and say, I'm gonna be better than that person in the corner and that girl over there. I need to be the best version of me. And so, you know, we hear a lot about the 1%, get 1% better every day. And I'm always like, I can do more than 1%. I don't need to just be okay with 1%, but I need to make sure that when I walk in the room, I give the best of myself and that, you know, that's been a tough transition. I don't know how it's been for you, but I know, you know, I go to, to down to the gym and I'm working out. And if I see somebody running at 6.0, I'm like, forget that I'm at 6.1 or like, I, I always want to be better. And that competitive piece has been really hard to overcome. Um, but as I get older, my body breaks down, I've got two fake hips and arms that don't always work. Right. I realize it's not a competition between me and somebody else. It's a competition between me and me. And that drive comes from, well, this is what I did yesterday. Can I do a little bit more today?
0: I love that. And I agree with you. You talk about what is the best and what is success. And I really am a big believer is we each define that because what's successful to somebody else isn't going to be successful to maybe you or me. It's going to look different and seasons of life raising our kiddos, right? That was something very, very important for both of us. So how do you go from being this elite athlete, one of the best in the nation, in the world, and then, okay, I'm mom, but guess what? Okay. I'm going to strive to not only be my best, but to try to give you every opportunity to go be your best. We were both blessed with our parents doing that for us. Um, and, and so what, is there anything that we haven't talked about when you think of the gold standard and what that looks like? You've shared a lot of your stories. I know that's why you continue to succeed, no matter what success looks like to you or to me, but is there anything that we've missed that has really just been a core piece of what's driven you? I know your faith is very important to you and those values. Like what haven't you shared yet that you're like, people need to know this.
1: I think one thing of every quality human being that I've been around male, female sport athlete, or just regular average Joe is the ability to be resilient. As I surround myself Myself. with these women playing baseball, as they try to just navigate this difficult world of playing in a men's on men's teams, playing in men's areas, they have to be really resilient. And I am constantly impressed by their ability to keep walking back into the fire day after day, knowing that it's going to knock them down and it's going to, you know buckle them at the knees a lot of times i am constantly aware of the battles that they're facing and yet they're willing to continue to walk back into it every single day and not give up being resilient when things are hard when the odds are stacked against you when you don't see a way out those people that are willing to take on that fight they impress me and they're the ones that reach their goals because they don't back down when it gets hard. And I think being resilient is one of the qualities that really needs to be embraced because we see a lot of people giving up around us. You know, the pandemic was difficult, it took away human connection. And by taking that away, I think a lot of us lost some resiliency. But I think being able to recognize what it looks like to be resilient and push through difficult things is going to be one of those qualities that really defines and separates the elite from the average.
0: Yeah. I can remember coach Kendra saying that to me one day when I called him after a bad day at the plate on team USA, and I'll never forget him saying Leah, your ability to succeed at this level is going to all come down to how well you deal with failure. And basically that's what it is. How resilient are you when it's not good? Because you're resilient, when things are going great for you. And I also heard this other quote and I was like, I love this. I'm keeping this. It's always too early to give up. It is always, and you're right. You have an advantage because so many people will throw in the towel. So many people like it just must not be from so many people won't even get started. Like you talking about, you know, that very real, you know, time where you're thinking, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then your husband, that support system. I think that's why we need to be surrounded by the right people. Because when we don't believe they can believe in us and they can kind of give us that little push, just like our parents did for us. I'm sure when we were younger, I love so much of what you've shared. Okay. We just have done this.
2: I mean, kind of fun. Like, is there, is there any memory that you want to share? Like, of course, nice one, but fun from when we were college, young little babies in college Um, roommates, seriously, God knew what he was doing putting us together as roommates. I needed you, Jenny. I needed you. I still need you, but um, do you have anything funny to share or <laughs>
1: I'll call but myself good. out. I'll call myself out.
2: We, uh, well, there's a couple,
1: but I'll, I'll boil it down to two. I remember freshman year, you didn't have a car. I did. We, should we lived in the dorms and we didn't practice on campus that year because our field was being brand was being built. So we practiced at this like field a little bit further away. So we needed a ride to practice every day. And I remember it was a busy day and I get to practice and I start warming up like with the run and everybody goes, where's Leah? And I was like, oh crap, I didn't pick Leah up. You were so mad at me, so mad at me. I went buzzing back. I picked you up. I don't think you talked to me for like two or three days. You were so mad and it was well-deserved, but I felt so terrible. So Leah, I'm so sorry. I left you at home for practice. Okay. And then then, um, the other one, we are driving home from college during our freshman year we had loaded the car up. I think it was Christmas. We were going home for Christmas. And as we we're driving along, we, you and I laughed a lot. We laughed at everything growing as we grew up through college. And I think we were delirious because we were driving and all of a sudden we see this big hot dog driving down the highway. <laughs> and that has been kind of a theme for us for like, it's the Wienermobile. And it literally was the Oscar Mayer Mobile was driving down the highway as we were driving home. And so anytime I see it, I send you a picture of it or, and it just makes me laugh and think of you. So,
2: so great. I, I, right off the bat, I, I, first of all, I have no memory. So every time Jenny and I get together, she reminds me of things that happened in college that I don't remember. So I don't remember you forgetting me. Oh, good. Good, good. You know, I don't remember that. And, um, you know, yes, I will always remember the Oscar Mayer Wiener car. That is always, as well as Jenny was known for making rice crispy treats. I mean, and just eating it straight out of the pan. So whenever I make rice crispy treats, I think of my roommate and sometimes I'll send her a picture or I'll be like, "Please," oh, cause she, she did that. She was the cook in our house. Um, hey, no, Leah. So though
1: the sad part is your kids, you didn't make them enough because they didn't like the way real ones tasted. They only wanted the ones in the blue wrapper when they were little.
2: Well, I'm way better now. (laughs) People request mine now, so I'm better. I learned. Um, thank you. I
0: just, oh, so many great things for, for us to take away for sure. Connection before correction, um, uh, being coach fed, but player led again, I think that is for sports and for business, um, give the best of what you have, whatever you have, 60%, 80%, but show up with a hundred percent of that 60% or 80%. Uh, it is lonely at the top, but you know, it's sometimes you have to say the hard things, but the goal is to get everybody better being resilient, Um, how Jenny, how can people find you? Are you on social media? If they wanted to check out what you're up to. Well,
1: I don't post a lot. I lead a pretty private life. I'm not going to lie, but I am on Twitter at Jenny Dalton Hill and also on Instagram and Facebook at the same tag. So if you would like to reach out, I would be more than happy to help in any way.
0: Well, thank you so much for everything that you've shared today. And thank you guys for listening to the gold standard podcast. I hope that you will share this with somebody you think it might encourage and, um, just tune in, make sure you rate and review and you subscribe to the gold standard podcast. And we will see you here next time. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the gold standard podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can post on social media and tag at Leah20USA or use hashtag goldstandardpodcast. Make sure you also subscribe so you get notified each week as a new episode releases. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate your reviews as they help encourage others to listen in. Until next time, live out the gold standard and keep turning your goals into reality.